Hello, this is Chris Date, and you are listening to the The Apologetics Podcast, Episode 6, Daughter of Zion. of today's episode is the question, who is a Jew? This will be the first in a series, not one after the other, but over the life of this podcast, in which we'll be discussing the topic of Israelology with a close friend of mine, um, which I'm really looking forward to. But first, I wanted to point out that I've already received some feedback concerning some of my recent episodes. If you go to my blog at theapologetics.com, you'll see a couple of recent posts, one of which is called Be Baptized for the Forgiveness of Sins, and another entitled Episode 5, God Man, where I announced Episode 5 when I published it. And there's a number of comments in those posts where I'm engaging in debate uh, concerning the nature of baptism as well as uh, a debate concerning something that I said in the episode about Jesus being God. If you'd like to follow those debates or even engage in the debates themselves, I welcome you to uh, access my site and um, leave comments there as well. Now, I want to try in each episode to promote resources which I find edifying. But unfortunately, many of them don't have prepared promos, which I can simply plug into my episodes. And while there will come a time in the future when I begin replaying promos I've already played, I don't want to start that just yet. So what I've done is I've copied about 45 seconds of the intro from a recent episode of a show I enjoy. And I think that it serves as a good promo for that show. So have a listen. This is the show your pastor warned you about. Hello friends, Greg Kokel here, Stand to Reason, and I'm so glad you joined me today. Looking forward to three hours of conversation, reflection, and uh, giving you a piece of my mind on the most important things that we can be thinking about. And yes, I think thinking is critical, even though feeling is part of it. I don't know if I've said this before on the air regarding Christianity. Pardon me. But uh, emotions are what makes life delicious and uh, careful thinking is what makes life safe while I disagree with Greg Kokel in a few areas his passion for teaching Christians not so much what to think but more so how to think and the importance of thinking is one I share his weekly call-in radio show airs live Sundays from 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific time and is archived in podcast form the day after it airs I myself have called in a couple of times, in fact, uh, on this most recent episode, so I encourage you to take a listen to that. But I found Greg humble and considerate, traits that I've seen him uh, exhibit to every caller who calls in, even ones who were (laughs) kind of belligerent and obstinate, things, things hopefully I wasn't when I called in. So I highly recommend both Greg's radio show and his ministry, and I hope that you'll check them out at str.org. So with that, let's move right into the interview, and just as a word of warning, this was recorded in my living room, and my friend had some technical difficulties with his mic, so the audio drops out a bit here and there, but the problems are few, our message isn't detracted from, and overall I'm pleased with the quality, so I hope you'll enjoy.
Joining me today in the recording studio that is my living room is my good friend David Jarislow. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today, David. Hi there. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Now, in a moment, we're going to be uh, diving into the discussion or into the question, who is a Jew? But before we get into that, I'd like to learn a little bit about yourself. You're a Jewish Christian, which to many people is kind of an enigma or an oxymoron. Can you give us a little bit of your testimony, how it is that you found yourself in this you know, kind of unique position that you're in? Sure. Well, um, I actually came from a, a denomination of Judaism called Conservative Judaism. There's three main ones, Reformed, Conservative, and Orthodox. Um, I was bar mitzvahed, and I went to Hebrew school for eight years. Um, both my parents are Jewish, but I actually really didn't subscribe to Judaism as a religion. I was more uh, agnostic. I was mm. more secular, humanist. Um, I wasn't really sure if there was a God, and I I definitely identified culturally with the Jewish people, but I was, for the most part, I was more interested in Eastern religions. Um, I actually am, well, to make a long story short, I, I was pretty anti-Christian most of my life. I was opposed to Christianity in general, but most specifically uh, evangelicalism and Protestantism, uh, which <laughs> which I am right now, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I, I ended up being, uh, well, I ended up doing some volunteer work uh, for an organization, and I met someone who was a Jew who believed in Jesus, and I, I thought the guy needs a clue phone. I, it's like being a Nazi pacifist or something. Right. So, you know, I just was like, it doesn't work like that. After a lot of discussions, um, he actually dared me to pray to God and ask him if Jesus is real. And, you know, I practiced meditation as well. A lot of Jewish people who study Eastern religions do that. And um, so I took him up on his dare and I, I kind of had a, well, like a Damascus Road experience. It was similar to what Saul had when he became Paul. Mm. Uh, although I don't consider myself an apostle. Sure. I, I, did see, uh, I, I didn't see the risen Savior, okay? But I had an experience, um, and at that point I realized that there was something that I had never experienced before, even in doing meditation and doing hours of Hebrew school work. And at that point I ended up um, going to a church, uh, which I thought was quite odd in enemy territory. <laughs> um, and I remember even just hearing Jesus Christ in a positive way without an insult, uh, was very strange for me. Usually that was something I said when I stubbed my toe. Right. Uh, and as I progressed, um, I think I moved away from an experiential relationship with God. You know, um, it was more towards one based in the scriptures. Um, and after a lot of time, I came to belief, I came to this belief that the the scriptures, the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, or the Torah and the Brit Chalashah in Hebrew, uh, are, the, are basically inerrant and infallible. Uh, I... I that they are without error. Right. Um, and I didn't, but I didn't come to this lightly. It's not like I woke up one day and decided to believe this. You know, I believe the Bible was a, at best a book of myths with some ethics and morals that are probably outdated. I no longer believe that, however. I would say that um, my theology at this point is definitely influenced by Reformed theology. It's basically grounded in the belief that God's primary revelation to mankind is through his Bible, his word. And when I say reform, by the way, I mean in regards to uh, salvation or soteriology. Yeah. Uh, I even question the canon of the Bible. I, I question a lot of things. You know, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that he, uh, he came to the cross kicking and screaming or something like that. Yeah, I'm not, or his eyes darting this way and that, I think was the quote. And I, I'm not sure, but I know somebody said that, and I, I can completely relate to that. I fought, I basically fought this concept, this idea that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. I fought this tooth and nail 
uh, I didn't go lightly into this dark night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't want it to be true, to be honest. And I and and well, I I found out that I was wrong, um, and that God was right. <laughs> uh, and I've never, honestly, I've never been happier uh, since. Um, and you know, I'm I'm a very different individual than I was before uh, yeah. before accepting Christ. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. Yeah, so it's it's kind of. That's kind of it in a nutshell uh, about terms of how I became a Christian and where I'm grounded in my theolo- my theology and in my beliefs. Yeah, but uh, that's a brief version, a very dr- of a very dramatic story. I'm not exaggerating or using hyperbole when I say that I was pretty angry. Uh, I. I uh, I was I, I would have accepted Hinduism practically because <laughs> I had I had so many issues with uh, with Christianity and with Christians and with uh, just a lot of things in America I did not like. Um, but in any event, yeah. Well, you know, ho- hopefully that's something that maybe we can dive into a little bit in our future episodes together. But yeah. Yeah. but but I'm curious, what do people? Give me some examples of what people make of your being both Jewish and Christian. What are some of the reactions that you get from that? Well, obviously there there aren't many of us, um, at least in the modern church. It's it's kind of ironic because in the first century the church was in, uh, largely Jewish. I, I would say entirely so, at least to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Well, ironically, we're we're going uh, we're going to be be able to define what that means. Uh, but today it's a it's a rarity. I I get a lot of mixed reactions from people. You know, everything from well, I've I've met conservative, theologically conservative Christians like. Like that, and there's there's others that are ambivalent, or they don't care, or I should say apathetic. I, I might as well say I'm left-handed, or I have negative, you know, type A negative blood, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's irrelevant for them um, on their radar. O- others wonder if why I've left a perfectly good religion, a perfectly good people group. You know, obviously the more orthodox Jews, uh, some of them just view that I'm confused or that there's something very wrong with me for believing that Jesus or Yeshua is the Messiah. So it really does run the gamut. Um, you know, c- a common belief is that well, if if he's the Messiah, why didn't the Jews accept him? And that's a whole other discussion. But uh, needless to say, I think in the Old Testament there's a prophecy where it's very clear that the Jews would not uh, receive their Messiah. They wouldn't accept him. Um, and uh, <clears throat> that's certainly true with some of their prophets. So it's not like they don't have a track record of, uh, <laughs> uh, of always accepting uh, people sent to them. Yeah. Uh, I will say that I, I, I get inroads with speaking with atheists and people with different backgrounds because they can't put me in a standard cookie cutter. You know, he was raised evangelical Protestant. Obviously, you've never questioned your beliefs, so that's why you believe in uh, <laughs> Christianity. Yeah. I, I came kicking and screaming, as I said earlier, and that's also why, exper- why experientially, for me, predestination seems to explain why I'm a believer. I think God elected me. Hmm. I, I think my faith is because God chose me, and I, I don't think it's because I love him more than anybody else or care about righteousness more than anybody else. And or or that you're smarter than them. <laughs> right, or, or that God knew in advance I'd choose him, or these other beliefs. I, I just think that God chooses whom he does, and he chose the Jewish people out of nations of other people he chose the jews and god chooses whom he chooses and i happen to be um i feel doubly elect first because i'm jewish and also because i'm a believer um and uh and so i believe i'm going to heaven yeah well that's good and and this is the first of a series that we're going to be doing together on the topic of israelology tell us what is israelology and why is it important why is it that you're so passionate about it well you know Israelology is a subsection of theology that uh, studies the role of Israel vis-a-vis the church 
or what is Israel? It kind of answers that question. What is Israel? What is the church? Are they the same entity? Uh, did one supplant the other? Has the church always been Israel? Or are they euphemisms, one for the other? Hmm. Uh, these are good questions. Asking questions of those types, answering those types as well, that's Israelology. And I find it, um, a lot of people view it as kind of tangential to Christianity. They're, they're much more interested in a lot other ologies, uh, <laughs> if you will, within theology. In, in fact, you know, I, I suspect that most people uh, have not even heard of the term Israelology. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Israelology is is rarely ever spoken. It's actually a new field of, of study in some seminars, including Dallas Theological. Uh, one of the people that I greatly respect in terms of his research is uh, Arnold Furchtenbaum. I think he's fantastic, if you've ever heard of him. Uh, he graduated from Dallas Theological, and his Ph.D. thesis is called Israelology. In fact, you can buy it on, um, on Amazon. Mm. Um, and when I say, uh, you know, this is pretty new within the last 20 or 30 years, so it's relatively new. Uh, the reason why I'm interested in Israelology is because I see it as not being tangential at all, but actually playing a very important role in understanding a seemingly unrelated doctrines. Um, for example, there's a big debate as to whether baptism is essential for salvation. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, something yeah. my listeners are going to know about. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, a big debate as to whether we should baptize babies. There's big debates as to whether you can lose your salvation. There's big debates as to the role of baptism and other things. The list goes on. Transubstantiation in the Catholic Church. Um, you know, they believe the Lord's Supper is actually the the literal body and blood of Christ. They are seemingly these issues are seemingly unrelated, and yet I think they're very much related. And it really comes down to uh, how one looks at the Jews. Uh, what are the Jews? Who are the Jews? Who is Israel? How one looks at Israel and and the promises you know the promises that that were given uh, were they completely fulfilled by the church? Uh, are there promises yet remaining to Israel? Uh, these are big questions, and 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 how you answer those, how you look at your Israelology determines a lot of these other doctrines. Mm. The other thing about Israelology is that, unfortunately, it is, uh, unfortunately, I find it to be the least critically studied uh, area within the field of theology. It's... Um, it's really more like... It's taken for granted. Yeah, exactly. It, Israelology is not caught. It's it's not taught, it's caught. It's mm. kind of understood... Um, and, and frequently people feel that many of the promises given to Israel were inherited by the church. Uh, unfortunately, the curses that also uh, come to Israel for disobedience, those uh, rely are still <laughs> affecting the Jewish people. Uh, not, that's not my belief. I'm saying that's a common belief. It's, mm. it's, it's completely taken for granted. You know, um, I enjoy reading Matthew Henry's commentary, uh, for an example, but, but I, I disagree with some of his positions on Israel. Um, it's clear he will spend... You know, tomes of time, lots of time, lots of literature delving into particular studies in theology uh, when you're reading his commentary, which I think is great. I appreciate him quite a bit. But his passages on Israel are sparse. They're few. They're far between, and frequently he makes opinions. He makes statements without really substantiating those opinions. Yeah. Um, Israelology is oftentimes caught, as I said earlier, and it's... It's unfortunate because, you know, as I delve into Israelology, I begin to see how this impacts many of the divisions in the church that have occurred even over the last 2,000 years. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I agree, and there, there are a lot of questions that we're going to ask as part of this series. But the first one, the one that we're going to uh, discuss today, is who is a Jew? And that might sound kind of like a silly question for some, or one where the answer is really obvious. If that's not the case, if it's not very obvious, or at least if people don't think it's very obvious, uh, why is it a more complicated question than many might think? 
Well, I, I'll tell you, I have a suspicion based on, and I've had this discussion with many different Christians, different organizations, denominations. I believe that the majority of listeners are probably going to agree with my definition of the term Jew, but there is a sizable minority that will not. Hmm. And, and so it is in that sense a con- kind of a controversial discussion. I, I really think, and we're we're going to get into this later, uh, but in Romans chapter uh, 2, there's a passage which talks about what a true Jew is. Um, and it is probably uh, the most frequently cited uh, for some who believe that the term Jew has been changed or redefined. And, you know, I think that first we need to establish what, a, what is a Jew in the Old Testament. And that is to say the Torah, the Torah, and the Bible, and, and how it's progressively moving forward. And, and as it moves forward, has this definition changed? Mm. Has it been modified? Are there a number... You know, and there's a number of Christians who believe that the term Jew can have multiple different meanings, which I think it does, but but, but meanings that I don't think the scriptures substantiate. And mm. That's important. I don't think that the Jew, the de- definition of Jew changes. So this is one of the reasons why I think it's important to look into this. I do think a majority of our listeners already know where I'm headed and agree with me, but a minority might find this a challenging study. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, let me just, uh, before I get to my next question, sort of piggyback on that a little bit. Uh, do, do you see a difference between the way that people m- use that word when they're speaking sort of uh, ethnically or sociologically yeah. versus how yeah. they may be using the term theologically? Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, um, I think most of the church and most of the world agrees that Jew is somebody who claims to be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, probably through the mother. Uh, well, that's kind of the standard definition today. Um, and uh, no, I, I think that nobody denies that definition, uh, but I, I'm referring to the theological term Jew. What is a Jew uh, in a spiritual or theological sense? Yeah. Um, and that's what I'm referring to, the designation of the word Jew in the Old Testament, or Hebrew. Um, there are people who uh, who say that the word Jew is a, is a, can mean only from the tribe of Judah, but that's another discussion. But yeah, no, I, I think ethnically, I think everyone agrees, everyone today, even secular humanists, atheists, we all know what Jews are. But I'm referring to the theological definition, because fundamentally your faith is driven by your theology, and if you're changing a definition of what you mean theologically, you're changing the currency of what those words mean, the currency of the language. Mm. And that affects your worldview, that affects how you interpret scripture. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the question I have next for you is, uh, there are probably some listening for whom there are you know, red flags or alarm bells already going off. It's just by beginning to talk about this subject. There was a, uh, as I'm sure you know, a strain of legalism in the early church on the part of some Jews, the, the Judaizers, as they were called. And then, of course, there are people who think that Jewish Christians oftentimes try to say that somehow Jews are more special in the eyes of God or, or something along those lines. And I'm wondering, what are your motivations for placing this emphasis on this question and on and on Israelology as a whole? Do, do, do you think that any of the red flags raised on the part of these listeners might be valid, might be legitimate? Yeah. You know, let me say, uh, I understand a lot of their concerns. You you know, there's a a group of people that were saying that in order to be saved, you effectively had to live as a Jew. You have to be circumcised. You have to avoid pork and shellfish. You have to, you can't eat meat with milk or whatever. And the apostles were very clear that, um, you know, Gentiles are not called to be Jews. Hmm. That's number one. And number two, I, I believe that the Mosaic Covenant has been fulfilled. In other words, I don't believe that Jews or Gentiles are still required to keep the laws of Moses. Mm. Uh, that doesn't mean there isn't wisdom there, but it, I don't think that that's a requirement. That's why I, I call the, 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 as it says in the Old Testament, the new covenant is the Brit Hadashah, or the new covenant, which means it is not the same as the old. It actually is a new covenant. So I think that's actually been fulfilled at the death of, of Messiah. I think we're now under the new covenant, as I mentioned, uh, which is actually prophesied about. 
And I'm not here to bring legalism into the church. You know, I believe that the scriptures, all the scriptures, are God-breathed and that they are critical both for salvation and for sanctification. Um, although, you know, in the Word of God, salvation can be used to mean sanctification. I think it's critical for both of those. And that's the case that everything in the Bible uh, should be looked into. It's not like some parts of the Bible can be cut out, otherwise God has extraneous passages that are irrelevant, uh, yeah. maybe even get in the way, and I don't believe that. I think that they're all critical. Yeah, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching. And yeah, so forth. exactly, all Scripture. And so we shouldn't have, if you will, we shouldn't have holy cows. We shouldn't have areas that we just refuse to study for fear that someone might think or someone might say or that someone might do with that. You know, we need to be able to uh, to be open to the whole Word of God, the whole counsel of God, and say, what is God trying to communicate to me, you know? And, you know, we, we also need to be able to say, you know, just like we have all, we all have to set aside our holy cows, I want to know what the truth is regardless. Mm. I, I mean, if the Word of God said, you know, all Christians should wear red shirts, for example. I know that's kind of absurd. <laughs> well, I know the word doesn't say that, but I'm just using this as an example. Uh, then if that's what God's standard is, that that's what we should do. We should not stand in judgment of the word. We should change our lives and our lifestyles and, and our thinking to be in line with the word of God. And that's what I think is critical. And again, I'm not arguing that we're, we're called to wear red shirts or whatever. Uh, but I'm using that as an example. So I'm, I'm not here to bring up any type of legalism. You know, the, the Bible talks about about the fact of the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile that has been abolished, and we can discuss what that means as well. For some, it means that there is no longer any distinction to be made. I, I would disagree with that, but but I do think that Gentiles and Jews are both uh, those who follow uh, who are followers of Christ and are in equal standing before the Lord. And I'm not here to establish any type of second-class citizenship either. Mm. Um, what I mean is that I don't want Gentiles to feel like second-class citizens. Um, I don't believe that there are any. The Bible's very clear. Uh, however, I, I also don't want Jews to feel <laughs> like second-class citizens either. Right, good, yeah. Yeah, so that's my motivation. Uh, it's truly to be fair to the Word of God and to try to bring a teaching that I think is biblical, that a lot of Christians uh, need to understand, and is challenging for a lot of Christians to think about, that they may not have been uh, thought about as critically in the past. Yeah, yeah. It sounds to me like what you're saying is that you want to be, and you want others to be, uh, a worshiper in both spirit and truth. You, you, yeah. you, you, you want to care about the truth. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and let, let me say this. You know, I'm not interested in this kind of, um, this may sound weird, I'm not interested in I'm not interested in being Jewish, actually. <laughs> and that may offend some listeners who are Jews. Uh, I'm interested in being biblical. I'm interested in being true to the Torah, true to the full revelation of God. Yeah. Now, if that which is biblical happens to line up with Jewish culture, so be it. Now, I'm not going to throw it away. If that which is biblical lines up with American culture, so be it. I'm not going to throw that away. Mm. Nor will I embrace it just because it's part of someone's culture. All, all that matters to me is the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. He literally claimed to be the, the truth, the embodiment of the truth. Uh, the, he, they say the truth incarnate. And if we embrace the truth, we're embracing Jesus. Or in Hebrew, Yeshua, and we're embracing him. You know, um, you can't say I love God, but I don't love the things that God loves. You can't say I love Jesus, but I, the truth is irrelevant. That's Those two are contradictory statements. Yeah, yeah. Well, well before we get into this question, I do, I do have one last question for you, which is, you know, some might wonder if you're unable to be critical and objective about this question because you're Jewish. How would you answer somebody who says something like, well, you've got a Jewish perspective and that's going to shape your view on how you're going to answer these questions? Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good question. You know, um, there's two different things. It's difficult. 
You know, there's an old expression I once heard someone say. It's kind of a, a funny question. If you're born with blue sunglasses on, how do you see the world? Hmm. A- and most people's answer would be... Blue. Yeah, blue. <laughs> sure. Well, the correct answer is actually normal because you have nothing to compare it with. Oh, uh, yeah, I see. Yeah. So when you're when you're living in effectively a Gentile culture, uh, church, which has been Gentile for, for almost 2,000 years, largely Gentile anyway, it's very difficult to step outside and realize, hey, what is the Word of God saying in and of itself? Mm. I'm not claiming to be an infallible interpreter. Let me be clear. But I am saying that we can, we can all come to the Word of God with our glasses on, whether, whether they're American or whether they're Korean or they're, they're Jewish or whatever they, they may be. We come to the Word with these glasses on. And so there's the potential for bias. Is there potential in me? Yes, but not, not more so than anyone else. Right. But there's something else I'd like to mention as well, and that is, you know, I, I, learned, <clears throat> I learned when I went to my undergrad in college, and they taught that in order to understand a book, you really need to understand it from the culture. And actually, uh, that's one of the kind of the uh, pinnacles of the Reformation. Uh, they're, um, one of their cornerstones that Martin Luther believed as well was that, you, you, you know, you need to understand it from within the culture that it, that it came from. And we take that for granted, but that's actually... Uh, something given to us by the Reformation. Hmm. And, you know, when we studied Japanese literature uh, in, um, in my college, my undergrad, you, you had to study it from, from the Japanese cultural perspective. I've studied Mexican literature, and you, you really have to understand it within the context of that culture. So I find it a little ironic, quite frankly, that as a Jew, I come to the body of Christ and, and, and feel, and some feel as if I've been, been told that I'm obviously biased. Uh, it's basically a Jewish book written by Jews, largely for Jews, with the exception of some passages and, and chapters and books. Um, and yet somehow that makes me uh, unqualified to, to read it, even though I, I wouldn't one, couldn't one argue that I have a better angle on certain issues because I at least come from the culture. Um, now, this does not exclude Gentiles. This doesn't exclude them at all. I, I would uh, expect them as well to, to come with, with glasses on. And I would hope that people would want to understand the scriptures from a, from a Hebraic perspective. Sure. So you know, to try to understand some very difficult passages, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, not only am I more culpable than anyone else for having bias, uh, perhaps my bias would would actually perhaps help me in a, in a way because I'm uh, interpreting it from from within the culture or similar to the culture that it was written in. Obviously, it's changed over the last two thousand years, but similar, more similar to it. Sure. You know, I understand, and I'm personally inclined to agree. You know, if I've gotten an English translation of, say, a French poem here, uh, and I'm being exposed to French idioms, French ideas, uh, stuff like that, then there's there, there's certainly, particularly with the help of the Spirit of the Lord, there's going to be some understanding, and I'll be able to draw from that. But it seems to me like somebody uh, who is immersed in French culture, somebody who is, in fact, French, is going to be better able, uh, or at least uniquely able to give me a perspective that that at the very least is going to be useful not necessarily you know the authoritative one but at the very least useful in a way that a non-french understanding uh isn't going to be isn't going to be useful uh, it, it has something to offer that a non-french audience is uh is, is going to not have um so in the same way i think that the jewish perspective is the very is at the very least something that's useful because it offers it it brings to the table something that the rest of the church doesn't have, and, and so so I'm inclined to agree. Um, so well, well, that's good. With all of that introductory material sort of out of the way, 
you know, we've gotten to know about you. We've gotten to know about your passion and why you think this question is, is important. Let's try Let's actually ask the question and, and try to answer it. And and because we both believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God, I, I think that you said that you're, uh, that you believe it's inerrant and infallible. And I would agree with that. So, so what, what does the Bible say is the origin of the Jewish people as, as the starting point of our discussion? Yeah. You know, there are many verses that deal with God's people. Um, what are God's people? And, and for that matter, what is a Jew? In fact, uh, there would be quite enough, <laughs> uh, frankly, to publish a book on that alone. <laughs> but what I'd like to do uh, for the sake of brevity and because we don't have a lot of time here it, during the podcast is um, to focus on a few verses. Okay, mm. uh, The very beginning of, of what it means to be a Jew, it would be that anyone who is a biological descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... Mm. Um, there's other verses uh, that people can look at even more uh, <clears throat> than that, but but I'd like to I want to just look at a few verses here, and I'm starting here in the New Testament, but I'm going to go back to the old. Mm. Now in Acts chapter seven verse eight, um, you want to go ahead and read that? Yeah, I'll do that, and and just for our listeners' uh, sake, I'll, I'll mention that I'm going to be reading this out of the New American Standard Bible because it's the one that I cite most of the time in in my podcast. So. Acts chapter 7 verse 8 reads, He gave him the covenant of circumcision, and, and this is speaking of Abraham. And, and so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. You're right. You know, I, I think this, is a, this verse establishes su- succession here that is very critical. You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael, or just simply Abraham. And that you have this lineage here that's, that's going down through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, again, this verse is not in of itself uh, make my case, but I'm, I'm building a case here, and I have a few of the verses I want to look at. Okay. I'm going to look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. Uh, and again, this is the New American Standard uh, version, uh, but the uh, Jewish Publication Society, the JPS translation, is pretty similar, actually. I like that translation as well. Um, he, he said also, quote, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look at God. And I think, you know, I think this establishes, again, that God is speaking here, and God is saying to Moses that he is the God, not just of Abraham, but mm. more specifically of Isaac, and even more specifically, one of Isaac's children, Jacob. Not all of Isaac's children. Right. Not, not all of Abraham's children. So here again, we see that lineage. Yeah, and this is a passage that, uh, that Jesus actually quotes in one place. Yeah, that's correct. In fact, why don't we look at that in Matthew twenty-two thirty-two? If you want to go ahead, uh, Matthew twenty-two thirty-two. Could you read that? Yeah, uh, he's quoting that passage that you just read to us, and he says, "I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Is he not the God of the dead? Or he is not the God of the dead, but of the living?" And uh, I think that in the context here, what he's doing is he's answering an objection to the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. So, so exactly. So again, we have Jesus restating the very statement here that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's interesting that the lineage is repeated over and over and over again. Mm. Yes, I think he's the the God of all humanity. But in the context here, it's important to the author, and I think therefore to God, that the the lineage be kept intact. And even here in the New Testament. And let's look at Acts uh, three thirteen. Acts three thirteen. Yeah, uh, go ahead with that. Yeah, it says the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Yeah, 
And again, we see the repetition here of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this establishes that there, that there were people from Israel, from those specifically, those descendants essentially. Yeah, and actually, uh, you know, I think that Acts 3 is, is Peter speaking to the Jews. When he, calls, when he calls Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as being their fathers, I think that establishes that these Jews he's speaking to are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. You, you know, he didn't say... He didn't say that some of you might be descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. It was synonymous. He was speaking to the Jewish people, saying that this was speaking directly to you. He wasn't, you know, there, there wasn't an understanding that he was speaking of two different people groups, the Jews who he, who he was talking to and these other descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. Uh, it was synonymous that there, his uh, listeners were one and the same. Yeah. Okay, so what about the actual word Jew, the, well, the, the, the Hebrew and Greek words that we translate Jew. Do we, do we have any evidence that that word is applied to mm-hmm. these specific descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Yeah, so, you know, God establishes one of his, uh, his well, the first holiday in the Old Testament uh, for the beginning of the new year. And actually, the, uh, the, the civil year begins in the fall for the Jewish people, but the calendar year begins with Pesach, or Passover in Hebrew. Which is uh, the celebration of God passing over the Israelites when the angel of death was yeah. killing the firstborns in Egypt? Yes, that's my, my, one of my favorite holidays, if not my favorite holiday. You know, that is exactly correct, and it has to do with the entire Exodus story. And this was uh, given directly to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be kept. This holiday, and it's interesting, in John 2.13 it says, quote, The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So here again, we see this link between the Israelites, if you will, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Passover given to the Jews. So here we see a link between a a synonymous usage of the word Mm. Jew with those who are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, you know, and I will point out that there are links in the passage in the show notes where you you can see this. There, There was a time... Where the word Jew, meaning Judean, was was a reference to the people of the kingdom of Judah, specifically uh, in contradistinction to the people of the kingdom of Israel. So, so there was a period of time, uh, but that goes beyond the scope of what we want to talk about here. But, but I think this really illustrates that the use of the word Jew or Jews by the time of Christ was referring to all the descendants of Abraham, mm-hmm. Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that the definition of the word Jew you mentioned underwent uh, even some deeper revelation. I wouldn't say it changed, but I would say that God gave further revelation as to what what that was about. Uh, Let's go to uh, Romans 3.29. You want to go ahead and read that? Yeah, so here Paul is asking the Romans, is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so here, here we have two groups. We have Jews and Gentiles, and it's saying there that, that God is the God of both Jew and Gentile. So we have a people group in the New Testament called the Jews, and they celebrate the Passover, and it's the exact same people that are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, again, used synonymously. And then here we have a reference to the New Testament, um, to, again to the word Jew and Gentile in two separate people groups, and here one can only imagine that the author was trying to say he was referring to those who celebrate Passover. Right. Yeah. Now, is God the God of uh, of those who celebrate Passover only, or the other holidays? No, he, he's the God of the Gentiles as well. Yeah. So we clearly show uh, here that a Jew is a descendant of, of any biological descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At this point in our in our scripture search, this is what I've come to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, f- there is one thing I want to mention that I didn't mention earlier, and this is this might be confusing for some of our, our listeners. There is a biblical definition of the term Jew, and, and there's also a rabbinical definition 
from the rabbis. And when I say rabbinical, um, what I mean is that you know I'm well acquainted with the rabbinical definition of being Jewish. The, the rabbis, the teachers within Judaism have their own understanding and definition. And actually, uh, within their groups, it can be quite controversial for what is a Jew. Hmm. Uh, although, uh, according to the scriptures, a Jew is someone, as I said, is of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through either parent. Hmm. And I know that's going to be surprising for some listeners, but clearly in the lineage of many famous people, including Jesus, his lineage depends upon a man, a husband being the only Jew present in the marriage. In fact, frequently, son of, son of, son of, uh, the identity here is, at the very least, uh, traveling through the, uh, through the husband, in this case. Hmm. Uh, David himself, I believe, was a descendant of uh, someone who, where a woman was not a Jew. Yeah, I think you're, you're talking about Rahab, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, and there's other examples as well. So biologically, j- being Jewish is from either can come from either parent. It can go. You know, it's ironic. The scriptures are typically measuring it through the fathers, as I mentioned. The Jews have a way of explaining this to say that it's always been through the mother. This is the rabbinical belief that is it's matrilineally given to people through the mother. But when it's recorded for official records, it's it's it's, it's interesting because they mention the father bar <laughs> son of. <laughs> okay. Well. You know, they're entitled to that belief. I don't see any evidence for that, that it's matrilineal, but they're absolutely, at least not on the Torah, but that's, that's, they're absolutely entitled to that. I believe that the push to go through the mother happened during the time uh, when there were really weren't a lot of men around the Jewish people uh, to try to track the lineage, so it was a lot easier to go through the female. But biblically, it can go either through the husband or the wife. Sure. So the thing about being Jewish, and again, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not interested in being Jewish. I'm not interested in being, quote, Christian. I'm interested in being biblical. Um, So I'm going to perhaps offend a lot of listeners. I don't know. The thing about being Jewish is it's like you hear people say, you know, I'm 120th Cherokee or I'm 118th Scottish. It's it's not like that when you're Jewish. You're Mm. either a Jew or you're not. It's binary. It's on or off. Yeah. And, and this is measured through the scriptures, uh, but I need to make that clear, a clear definition uh, that I'm looking for the biblical definition and not the rabbinical one. Um, you know, another rabbinical definition is that if you're not a practicing Jew, if you're not uh, into the religion of Judaism, then, then therefore you're not a Jew. So by that definition, I am no longer a Jew because I now believe in Jesus. Mm. Well, they're absolutely entitled to their beliefs, and I'm glad I live in a country where we have the freedom to believe as you choose. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I believe in freedom of religion, freedom of belief. Uh, but I, you know, I find this nowhere in the Torah, however. Mm. In fact, when I have debated over this with other Jewish people, I've asked them, you know, where in the Torah does it state that a Jew who believes the wrong person is the Messiah, assuming Jesus isn't the Messiah, uh, is somehow no longer a Jew? Yeah. Um, where does it say that if you believe, you know, Bar Kokhba, who claimed to be Messiah, you're no longer Jewish? And, and they have no evidence in the Torah. It's only through rabbinical traditions. Huh. And as a Protestant, I've come to the point where I believe that Sola Scriptura, that the Bible alone is the sole source source of authority, and that not, it's not man's tradition, whether they're uh, Jew or whether they're Gentile. Right. So I, I've got to filter uh, my cultures through the Word of God. And as a side note, again, I did not come to this position easily. <laughs> sure. You know, like I said, I had a very low view of the Scriptures prior to becoming a Christian, so uh, what, you know, whether you're a Jew has nothing to do with what religion you practice. You could be an atheist and be a Jew. Sure. Uh, and some people find that to be an oxymoron. You could be a Jew because you're, you're, uh, only your father is a Jew. And, and like I said, it, it's, it's uh, purely based on lineage. Yeah, uh, uh, genetics. Yeah, it's genetics, essentially. It's genetically a, a lineage. Not to say that Jews are superior. It's just to say that they're chosen for a reason by God. And you know, what's interesting is they have, in fact, doing DNA research, have, in fact, found that there is a Jewish 
gene mm. <laughs> um and that it's not the same gene as somebody from northern africa or or from uh the generic palestine that because jews have chosen to intermarry uh there is a a trace of their of their lineage uh, in their genes needless to say that was discovered one of the people who discovered that was a, a former mormon who believed that the native americans were an ancient tribe of jews and all he found was that they were uh tied to the chinese <laughs> uh which is what most people believe they came across the land bridge perhaps, uh, or by boat, but regardless, they're Asian. They're not uh, from, from the Middle East, certainly not Jewish. And when he tried to publish that material, he was thrown out by the Mormon Church. There were some articles <laughs> published about that in the late 90s. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so biblically, we have this uh, contrast between, or this, this distinction between Jews, on the one hand, who are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then on the other hand, we have Gentiles, which is basically everyone else. But there are a, a couple of groups, two people groups, that I want to touch on very briefly, uh, that, that are you know, a little bit more difficult to place in one or both, one or one of the other of those two camps. One of them is what are called proselytes. Who who were proselytes in the time of Christ? So proselytes were Gentiles that converted to Judaism, if you will. And, and I put that in quotes. You know, I believe that a true biblical faith is one that incorporates Jesus as the Messiah, uh, and that is the cornerstone of of our faith. He's the he's the penultimate, the one that Moses promised would come. Um, I heard someone say that. The Bible is one of those books where the answers are in the back. <laughs> yeah, I used to have those in math. Um, it's like, oh boy, you know, it's and that's what's why I like my Bible is it 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 offers the answers that many Jews have been wondering about uh, in the in the New Covenant. So I don't believe that modern Judaism represents the full knowledge that God has, and I don't believe one can have salvation through modern Judaism. Mm. And when I say modern Judaism, I mean over the last 2,000 years. I know that's controversial. Uh, so, so, and I say that because there might be listeners who are Jewish, who are offended by what I've just said. Because yeah. I'm saying effectively that the rabbis have, by and large, gotten it wrong. Uh, but I actually believe many rabbis were secret believers in Messiah. And that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty much to, en enough to spark a debate right there. Sure. So anyway, prior, prior to that, if a Gentile converted to the truth, the, the knowledge, the, the revelation that God had given up to that point, whatever that point was in history, uh, they became a proselyte. But also typically a proselyte was somebody who, a Gentile, who affiliated themselves with the Jewish people. Uh, they were not Jews. Proselytes are always categorized in a different category than Jews. Uh, they were not Jews, but they were treated as a Jew. Mm. They were regarded as on par with Jews. In my opinion, this was kind of a foreshadow of the role of the Gentiles in the church. They were also regarded as in sharing, uh, at least in some of the blessings of the Jewish people. One might debate all the promises, but at least some of the blessings of the Jews were given to the proselytes. So they, they were people who converted to the truth. They worshipped uh, the God called Yahweh or Jehovah, and they were also typically associated themselves, affiliated themselves with the Jews, uh, either through cultural traditions or uh, through worship. Uh, and even Jesus addressed this when the Gentile came to him, and he said, she wanted a healing. He said, um, uh, eat, you know, uh, don't don't eat from the uh, the crumbs of the master's table. And she said, even the dogs can <laughs> are given that. And actually, that's a profound statement about her acknowledging the role of the Jews um, and even referring to herself as a dog, which is an uh, an old slam against Gentiles, and she even uh, took that uh, that, that used that designation for herself in that. And Je Jesus was moved by her faith, yeah. um, and and so if in effect by her acknowledgement of, of how God views the Jews, uh, that impressed her. Uh, same yeah. as the Roman centurion who came and said, "Hey." 
Um, you're the only one who can do this. And, and he said, I haven't seen any faith like this in all of Israel. What is the centurion, the Gentile centurion doing? He's acknowledging um, the Jewish Messiah. Um, and as, as a result, he's, you know, he's given a blessing. Yeah, yeah. Now, I want to read a couple of, uh, of passages here, a couple of texts, and there's going to be links in my show notes to these passages, but I'll, I'll, I'll read them briefly, or I'll, I'll, I'll mention them briefly. In Exodus 12, it says that if a stranger sojourns with Israel, he's not to, celeb- uh, to celebrate Passover unless he becomes circumcised, at which point uh, he will be like a native of the land. So like you said, the, recip- the, the a proselyte was somebody who was the recipients of some of the blessings. But on the other hand, we looked at passages like Acts 2 and Acts 6, where proselytes are distinguished from Jews. So, so what this illustrates is that while they were treated as though they were Jews, they were recipients of the blessings, or some of them that were given to God's people. Nevertheless, they were still categorized as proselytes and not as Jews. So I, I think that's an important distinction. They're still they're still Gentiles. They didn't become Jews. They were just treated mm-hmm. as Jews. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And I would go so far as to say that they were partakers in the blessings of Israel. So in some passages, when Israel is spoken of, I think in many, it's including proselytes. Mm. So when we're talking about Israel, at least in the Old Testament this point, we could say we're speaking of Jews and proselytes. And that's an important distinction to make that, you know, while the two categories of Jew and proselytes were different, Israel included proselytes. And they were also called sojourners of Israel. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. Well, so now what about the other group of people uh, that I want to talk about, the Samaritans? Can, Can you briefly explain what they are? Yeah. The Samaritans were actually descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, it's binary, you know, not one-tenth or one-twentieth. Binary meaning it's a zero value of either zero or one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you either It's like a, a power button. It's either on or off. That's a light switch, either, on or off. Yeah, you're either a Jew or you're not. However, their understanding and knowledge of God was very limited and typically was corrupted by a lot of syncretism um, with pagan religion. Syncretism meaning that they combined Judaism with uh, some beliefs in pagan religions. Um, you know, genetically, they were Jews in the sense that they were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they, are, they were not followers of God or mm. Yahweh or Jehovah or Adonai or Hashem, as, you know, as the Jews call them. Uh, they, they are not, if you will, the, the true Israel that were following God, and they were not obeying the laws that Moses proclaimed. They were not obeying the way in which you should worship. And it's interesting that Jesus did not say to the Samaritan woman, you worship God in your own imagination, and it's close enough to Jehovah, <laughs> and, and you know, you worship him in accordance with your own ordinances, which is just as good as ours. It's very clear that God made specific commands, and if those were not kept, then you were out of the will of God. And if you did not keep those ordinances and commandments in the Mosaic Covenant, you were out of his will. So Samaritans are basically a group of Jews who are either ignorant or in disobedience, but genetically... They're Jewish. Even yeah. if five centuries ago they they had a Jewish ancestor again, you know, it's it's binary. It's it's either on or off. Yeah. And and again, there'll, there'll be links to the passages that explain a lot of these things in the, in the show notes for those of you listening. Yeah. I will say that uh, that perspective is very difficult for some people because we're so used to believing the modern notion of lineage is that you're 118th Caucasian or that it's so ingrained that it's hard for us to conceive in God's economy in the scriptures uh, that there's no evidence of being 118th Jewish. You're yeah. either a Jew or you're not. And this is challenging. I've even found some Christians who, who have said to me, oh, yeah, you know, my my grandfather's Jewish. And, and I explained to them that, uh, well, then, then you're Jewish. <laughs> They're not interested in embracing it at all, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. And they say, well, isn't it true that it goes through the mother? And I explained that it's rabbinical. It's a rabbinical tradition. It's not in the Torah, and they still come back to the fact that it's through the mother, even though it's nowhere in the Bible. And this, it's funny when I see Christians who 
proclaim sola scriptura to suddenly uh, respect the traditions of rabbis <laughs> uh, when they're trying to avoid identification with the Jews. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of you know? sad. Well, okay, so Jewishness then is not primarily a question of religion, but of uh, lineage, of genetics. And as he already noted, one doesn't cease being a Jewish if he rejects the God of the Bible. But the question becomes, what role does faith play in what it is to be a Jew? Uh, it, it, is that is that important? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the fact a, a Jew who is not not a God follower is completely unfulfilled in God's mission for his life or her life, and I think that's unfortunate. Yeah, it's sad. You know, in fact, Paul said he would actually be willing to give up his own salvation if it were possible to save his own people. So it, it's a tragedy when somebody who has been marked by God's providence to be a light to the world, the Jews. Uh, that they don't fulfill their calling. I mean, the, the consequences are tragic uh, yeah. for everyone involved. I also believe that God is calling for the Gentile church as well, vis-a-vis the Jews as well, to, to, to be the light. Yeah. I, you know, I think, number you know, yes, th- there are consequences uh, for not accepting Christ. Uh, repeatedly in the Old Testament and in the New, when the Jews reject a God, uh, however much revelation he's given, and they worship other gods— they're still called Jews. Yeah. They're still called Jews, even in disobedience. They're referred to as Jews. And so, again, this indicates that being Jewish is, first and foremost, a genetic link. And that, actually, it has to do with Genesis 15, which um, perhaps we can go to, get into that maybe later regarding a land promise that God gave. And that's I know that's contested now. <laughs> yeah. Some of your listeners might feel that. Um, I, I have, have had all kinds of opinions on that issue, which is great. But also... It has to do with faith. It's possible to be of the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and yet not believe, and yet you're still Jew, still a Jew, both with the blessings that come with that as well as the curses. Right. In Romans 2, it clearly says that punishment is first for the Jew <clears throat> who lives in disobedience. It also says reward is first for the Jew. And then Paul concludes, therefore God does not show favoritism. Mm. Interestingly, even in uh, in Paul's argument in Romans 2, arguing against favoritism, Notice he does not say, therefore, there are no such things as Jews and Gentiles. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be the modern, kind of the egalitarian perspective on things. That would definitely be an appeal for our modern culture of tolerance, which is to say, let's just abolish all distinctions and completely er- eliminate them. Therefore, there's no favoritism. And, and I think that's how we humans would work it. Uh, if humans were God, we would want to see absolutely no colors at all, no shapes, no sizes that might uh, influence our decisions so that everyone could be, quote, normal. Right. Yeah. In other words, normal like us. Uh, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. looking normal. Hey, look, if I look in the mirror every morning, that's normal. Or, right. Or how am I, you know, whatever. He actually says that there are still distinctions in Romans 2. But the reason why God does not show favoritism is because it's not always good being a Jew. Yeah. It's good if you're a follower of God, but it's not good if you're not because your punishment will also come first. And by the way, the word proton here in the Greek is it's actually in the original Greek which means first and it actually appears in the original Greek. So if you look at Romans 1:16 when it says salvation is proton, first for the Jew and and then for the Gentile. You know, so this ordination is critical and he's he's not just saying he's He's not listing categories willy-nilly for no reason, and he, and he actually gives reasons why a Jew is listed first, both for punishment as well as for reward. Yeah. 
Yeah, I understand, and, and I'm sure that we're going to get into that in more detail in, in a future episode. Uh, but I definitely agree that there's no evidence from Scripture whatsoever that a Jew who doesn't follow God is somehow no longer a Jew. But but what about sort of the reverse? Uh, well, not the reverse, but what what about a Jew uh, who is born a Jew and accepts Yeshua, Jesus Christ, as a Messiah? Does he cease being a Jew, biblically? You know, I obviously would say that they don't stop being Jewish. In the book of Acts, when the people, when the Jewish people are being witnessed to, and they accept the Lord, the, uh, there are crowds of people who accept them, but repeatedly over and over, the author lists how many people were saved who were Jews, and how many were Gentiles. A- and the author does this continuously. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't say, and when they became Christians, they lost, they were no longer Jew and Gentile. It's interesting, uh, and I understand that this is pre- this is descriptive. It's not necessarily prescriptive, but it's interesting that um, that 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 their ethnic designation as Jew and Gentile was still important to to the uh, to, to the author of, of Acts. Yeah. Um, and at no point do they show how many people were saved. Um, but again, putting them in two different categories. So they did not stop being Jews, nor did they st- the author feel that now the issue of being Jewish is irrelevant, nor did he feel that they're no longer Jewish. As believers in Yeshua, um, the author continued to refer to them in these two categories. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. And then, of course, uh, Jesus himself was a Jew, and he believed he himself was the Messiah. Nobody ever believes that Jesus, neither Jew nor Christian nor Muslim, believes that Jesus was not a Jew when he chose to believe himself as, as the Messiah. And his followers and his apostles were all Jews, and they never stopped being Jewish. Paul himself said, I am a Jew of all Jews, if you will. That's true. You know, um, you know, plenty of Jewish people feel that, that they're no longer Jewish. Uh, if you believe in Jesus, which, which I find funny, you know, to give an example, there's a journal in Atlanta for the local, uh, a local Jewish community, and a number of advertisements for Jews who want to practice uh, meditation. They're, they're, they're actually called Jewish Buddhists, you know, Jews who are also very active in the gay lifestyle, and all of these were allowed to publish their ads, and, and yet, in one instance, there, there was uh, a desire for Jews to, uh, who believe in Jesus to publish an ad, and they were rejected by the editors as being uh, not Jewish, yeah. So, so, so you can be a Jew uh, and a Buddhist, and a Jew and a homosexual, but you know, pretty you, much, you could be a Hindu, any, yeah. whatever. Yeah, you're still Jewish, but you know, if you believe in Jesus, that's suddenly that's a showstopper, right? Yeah. So, in my opinion, uh, I call that that a theology of reactionism. They're they they are reacting to, understandably, to some extent, to pers- persecution, and and they're at. They're acting in ignorance. Unfortunately, if if you're a Jewish Christian, you are. Um, you know, as G- Kermit the Frog would say, it's it's not easy being green. <laughs> right, right, right. That, that's right. It's, well, okay. So, so to summarize where we're at so far, so that our listeners can catch up, what we've said is that the Bible distinguishes between two people groups. One is Jews, uh, who are biological descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then there are Gentiles, which is everybody else. Uh, in in fact, in one of the passages we looked at, where uh, was where Paul writes that God is not only the God of the Jews, but also the God of the Gentiles, and he uses the word ethnos there, which means nations, uh, which would have been the uh, equivalent of the Old Testament uh, goyim, the Gentiles. <laughs> So the, so the distinction is not between Jews and multiple other people groups, but between Jews, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Gentiles, everybody else, all the other nations. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, that, that's that, yeah, I would agree with with that statement. Um, I would even go so far as to say that there's, um, I'd say there's three major categories in the Word of God in terms of people. Um, I think there are obviously dozens you could see, uh, but in terms of any real importance, number one, are you a believer or not? 
Um, believer or unbeliever uh, in God, Yahweh, and his full revelation, I think, is the first and primary category, and that really is critical for salvation. The other two are critical for sanctification, and that is male and female. Uh, I know that that's very controversial, especially in the modern society. Yeah. I mean, do gender differences matter? Why did God make male and female? Are, are they interchangeable? Uh, these are kind of discussions that uh, that are talked about in our culture. Yeah. And the last is Jew and Gentile. Uh, so believer and unbeliever, male and female, Jew and Gentile. These are the three major categories that determine um, whether you're... Well, the first is whether you're saved or not, and the second perhaps even... Uh, would influence how you're sanctified um, in terms of the, the roles you play and and how you're how the church is supposed to interact with the Jews, etc. Sure. And again, l- let me be clear: I'm not saying that Gentiles are sanctified differently than Jews. Right, right. I, I'm I'm saying that understanding the correct understanding of of those two categories, male and female, Jew and Gentile. If you don't understand them correctly, it may influence your sanctification. Or be the result of your sanctification. I mean, uh, another example might be one's understanding of Calvinism versus Arminianism. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay, well, good. So with all that out of the way, uh, I'd like to start playing uh, devil's advocate for a moment. Um, that's a little bit <laughs> of a bad way to put it, but you know what I mean. I, I want to challenge you based on what we've said here. And what I want to start is, what, what I want to start with is by looking at uh, Romans 2, verses 28 and 29, and I'll read these again from the NASB. It says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. So doesn't it seem like this passage is saying that what it is to truly be Jewish is something that is inward and that uh, Gentiles who are circumcised of the heart by the spirit are just as much Jewish as a Jewish believer? Yeah, you know, Romans 2 is really the best passage that is the best, uh, the most frequently cited to indicate the word Jew, um, which is the belief that it's essentially been redefined or that God has changed the definition of what that means uh, to now simply mean anybody who believes in Jesus. Hmm. Uh, by that definition, anyone who believes in Jesus is now a Jew. And let me reiterate, I don't believe that God is second-class citizen. So if the goal here is to show that God does not show favoritism, I have no issue with that teaching at all. It's, it's very clear. But, God, but, but, but has God redefined what the word Jew means, or has he in any way uh, further elaborated, given new revelation on this? So let's take a look. Now, as you know, I'm sure, as many of your listeners know, the critical thing here, always as usual, is context. Right. Now, not all of Scripture is written to the same group of people. You have to look at the context. In Romans, there are sections written to Gentiles. Romans 11 is a classic example where he's speaking specifically to the Gentile church. And and then there's the sections written to Jews in, in Romans. Let's look at verse 17. Okay. Okay, so it says here in Romans 2, Now, if you call yourself a Jew, you rely on the law and brag about your relationship with God. Now, let's move on. Here he's talking uh, about who is who is the and who is the you here, and and this is in the NIV. I apologize, I'm reading here from the NIV. Uh, who is the you when it says you call yourself a Jew? And I think it's obvious from verse 17, if you call yourself a Jew. Well, and of course he also goes on to say you who are being instructed out of the law and and yeah, yeah. And so he goes on in verse 25 and he says. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. So is he speaking here to Gentiles? No. I think he's speaking here to Jews, as it's already been established. So it makes sense that he would be speaking here specifically to the Jews, and he's talking to the Jewish people, and that's the context here. And he goes on to say uh, that a man is not a Jew if he is one outwardly, or or you could even translate that to say that a Jew, if you will, 
uh, it may not appear in the original Greek, a Jew is not a Jew if he is one only outwardly. Rather, mm. uh, nor circumcision merely outward and physical, nor, nor a man uh, a Jew simply because uh, of his ethnicity. He's a true Jew if he is one inwardly, and mm. circumcision is the circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. So here he is establishing <clears throat> that a true Jew has always been a Jew who has fulfilled his or her calling that God has placed on him by the mere fact that they are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not redefining the word Jew or giving further revelation here from the context in the sense that, um, that uh, now it means something it didn't before. Um, he's not redefining the word here from the context in verse 17 and verse 25. It's well, it simply means that anyone, he's saying anyone who, who believes in Jesus, he's not saying that anyone who believes in Jesus is a Jew. He's, the reason why people look to these verses to mean that, that he's redefining the word Jew is because they're looking for equality and parity in the body. And yeah. I fully respect and understand that. I also believe that, uh, both male and female are worthy and they can come before God, I should say, uh, as believers, and the wife does not have to depend upon her husband, um, contrary to what Mormonism teaches. She can go directly to God through Jesus Christ, and he will be the one to call her from the grave, not her husband, as the Mormons believe. Uh, it says in another section that there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if that passage were to mean that there is truly neither Jew nor Gentile, we would have to carry that part of the verse that also says there is neither male nor female. Hmm. In which case we should just, I guess, dress androgynously, or we should <laughs> act androgynously. And of course, there's passages in the Word that speak specifically to husbands and wives about how they should lead godly marriages. Uh, so there's gender distinctions that are still made within the body of Christ. And so why does he continue and persist in mentioning these different sexes, different genders, if there's no distinction? And you know, I think the context is clear. He is saying there is no distinction with regards to salvation. Yeah. For Jew or Gentile, male or female. But these categories do persist, and I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's a threat to equality, and I don't see that these categories are a threat to God's unconditional love for all people. Yeah, definitely not. So I think that's kind of what motivates people to, to look at these verses uh, outside of their context. Again, Paul is saying a true Jew is a Jew who is one inwardly. He is not saying anyone who believes in Christ is a Jew. They're looking for a God... Uh, people are looking for a God who loves them equally with Jews, and, and so unfortunately, unfortunately, that can come at the price of good theology. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see what you're, you're saying. They're assuming that if such a distinction exists, that therefore uh, love, is, love must not be equal. And so based on that assumption, they're, they're sort of, they're reading their understanding into the passage. But, but I agree with you. I think this passage is clearly not spoken to Gentiles, uh, who are somehow true Jews, but rather to Jews who are not truly Jews, because they're not of the faith that they're supposed to have. They don't, they don't fully believe as they're supposed to. Um, so, yeah, I think we're in agreement there. But, but I think that there are other passages that people would bring up in order to challenge what it is that we've been saying here. Uh, for example, in Luke 3, 8, John the Baptist criticizes those who say to themselves, we have Abraham for our father. And he responds to them saying, I say to you from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. And this sort of seems to foreshadow Romans 4.11, in which Paul writes that Abraham received the sign of circumcision while he was uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. And of course, there's also Galatians 3.7, where he writes that it is those who are of the faith who are sons of Abraham. And he goes on in verse uh, 29 to say that if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. So I guess the question that I'm getting at is, doesn't all of this suggest that Gentiles, not physically descended from Abraham, 
are nevertheless his children, and that's sort of spiritual Jews in some sense? Yeah, absolutely. Let me say, you know, I know the word spiritual Jew is, I've heard people bandy that, that word about, and it sounds kind of almost biblical. It's just, it's nowhere in the scriptures. Not as, it's not, it doesn't appear literally, and, and also doesn't appear figuratively. Um, mm. I believe that a, a Gentile who accepts Christ is a child of Abraham, and can refer to Abraham as the father of, of his or her faith. And they are adopted in, and they are absolutely equal with any Jew who believes in, in Christ. Uh, so, uh, in that sense, where they're adopted in, but they don't become a spiritual Jew. Um, in the same way, Chris, if you were to adopt a son, uh, that son is not a, your biological descendant. Uh, not he's not your natural child, mm. but he is loved just as much and equal to the other children and their brothers. Now, um, that's you know that that's why I have issues with that kind of that term spiritual Jew. Okay. Uh, but but it's also worth noting, I think, that it doesn't say that if you believe, then you're a child of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Right, right, yeah. exactly, exactly right. It uh, it doesn't say um, uh, that uh, you're you're exactly right that you're a child yeah. of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Just that you're a child of Abraham. Yeah, and I think that's really important because given how many times um, the Jews are called the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I would I would be highly I would highly uh, be skeptical of the claim that um, by calling people the children of Abraham through faith that he's calling them Jews, because if that's what he had intended to say, he would have used Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so rather, I think here that uh, what he's saying is, as you say, he's, he's, he, they're, they're children of the Abrahamic faith. They're, yeah. they're adopted into that family. Okay, well, so as we've just gone through, I think, great lengths to show uh, a Jew is anybody who has descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham had other, th- other sons besides just uh, Isaac, and those children are not children of, uh, they're not Jews, you know. So, in the same way, just as these passages say that we're, in a sense, descendants of Abraham, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that we're Jews. Now, uh, the last thing is, the, the last challenge I have for you, and, and you've briefly touched on uh, one of these passages a few minutes ago, is Romans 9. In, in, uh, sorry, in Romans 10.12, Paul writes that there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. And then again in Galatians 3.28, he says there's neither Jew nor Greek. And then again in Colossians 3.11, he writes that there's no distinction between Gentile and Jew. So do these passages mean that there's no difference at all between Jew and Gentile in Christ, and so therefore Gentiles are Jews in some sense? You know, uh, again, it touch, we, I touched on this earlier. Uh, we hear that adage, context, context, context. Now, the context here is no longer any distinctions. Uh, you know, if, if there were, if there were, if the, if the Bible were saying there's no longer distinctions, we would have a real contradiction in Scripture, because he goes on to talk about men and women. He goes on to talk about husbands and wives, and, and throughout the book of Acts, uh, they repeatedly refer to Jews and Gentiles when the body of Christ, as I mentioned. So there's no issue here of, in terms of parity or equality before God, uh, or in terms of coming before him as children. It also refers to the fact that all people have equal access to God through Jesus, whether they be male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. So I don't think those passages mean uh, what some people claim that they mean, which is I, I would kind of call a radical egalitarianism. I would say that, uh, you know, as I mentioned, the term spiritual Jew, I shy away from that because that term spiritual Jew is found nowhere in the Bible. Um, one could argue that there is something like it in the scriptures, that one can deduce it, but again, uh, I, I want to use the categories that God uses in the Word. Right. So, th- the term "spiritual Jew" is kind of like saying I'm a spiritual woman or I'm spiritually androgynous. I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not spiritually androgynous, nor am I spiritually a woman, and, and nor nor have you, uh, or nor are you a spiritual Jew uh, because you're a Gentile who believes in in Messiah. You have direct access to Jehovah um, in the same way a Jew would, um, and there's no second class citizens. 
uh, here. Right, right. Yeah, so I shy away from using that term because of how it has been misunderstood by many people. Even if a pastor uses that term from a pulpit, he may know what it means, but his congregants won't. And once again, it blurs these distinctions, which I believe are important distinctions, both for understanding God's unfolding plan uh, from the Old Testament, but also understanding our modern church age. For understanding eschatology, I think these distinctions are critical because they're God's distinctions. Sure, sure. And, and you know, you mentioned eschatology, and, and my listeners know that I don't share the same eschatological point of view as many who ironically do agree with me when it comes to Israelology, and that'll be the subject of future episodes. But but anyway, this has been good. You know, we're going to get into, in the future, we're going to talk about, <coughs> excuse me, uh, what is Israel? And we're going to talk about all sorts of related topics, so uh, listeners are going to still have a lot of objections in their mind after you and I are done today. Uh, and I just want our listeners to know that we're going to get to those in the future. But what we really wanted to focus on today was the question, who is a Jew? And I think that we've answered that. And and just to summarize, we've determined that the Bible teaches that a Jew is any descendant, biologically speaking, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That one does not cease being a Jew, whether he rejects God or whether he accepts Jesus as a Messiah. And that a Gentile doesn't become a Jew in any sense if he is in Christ. So the last question I had for you is... Why does this particular question matter? Is this just an academic issue with no real practical importance? Yeah, you know, I believe uh, that I may have touched on this, but I, I will say, um, obviously, it is important. Now, first of all, and again, we need to establish something. Yeah, if if something's in the Word of God, it is absolutely vital for our growth as a believer. Um, you know, we, we need to ask ourselves, is there stuff in Scripture that's irrelevant for our uh, growth in Christ? And I would say no. So if something's important enough for God to record uh, a, dis- a distinction, a designation, uh, then um, it should be important for us. And that alone, I think, should motivate us to want to learn more about the subject. Yeah. If it's important to God and we claim to be lovers of God, then it should be important to us. Yeah. There's nothing academic or extraneous about the Bible, and you know that there are debates as to whether it was canonized right, and, and I, I'm not going to go into that. Sure. I believe it was canonized properly, and I believe God's sovereignty governed the canonization of the Bible. And when I say the Bible, I mean the Protestant Bible, the one that Martin Luther chose. And I say that because I believe the books in the Apocrypha are at best reiterating biblical principles, offering nothing new, and at worst actually offering stories that are simply false. Yeah, I I would include 2 Maccabees, although I view that as, I should say, 1 and 2 Maccabees, as good historical information for the interbiblical period. That's where Hanukkah is based out of as well. Christ was in the temple, uh, actually, during Hanukkah. But I, I wouldn't call them canonized in a sense uh, that they're inerrant or infallible. So, you know, sorry, going back to the original question, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of went off on a tangent here, but I believe it is very important uh, for the simple fact that it's in the Word of God. So on that basis alone, I think it's important. Uh, you know, God goes to explicit means to describe the size and the height of the ark. Why? God only knows. Mm. He knows why these things are important, but I'm not going to question that. I'm not going to cut it out of my Bible either. I'll just say that if it's in the Bible, it's important for us to know. And I, I, I think that even putting that argument aside, I think it's actually understanding you know, who a Jew is, understanding what Israel is, understanding what is the church. It's, it's just foundational to understanding the way in which we are to worship him, the attitude we should have vis-a-vis, you know, uh, even God's unfolding plan for salvation for all of humanity. It mm. impacts everything. So even from a logical, philosophical perspective, you've, you've got to understand these basic terms in order to under, interpret the Word of God correctly. But you know, I've even said, I'd even say the number of wives that Abraham had was important. Why? Because it's simply in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, and I think you're right. 
Well, this has been really great. I've really enjoyed it. I, I want to thank you so much for being here with me today, and, and I'm hoping that uh, we can do the next episode in the series in the new, near future. So thanks again so much for being here with me, David. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. It's been great. I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I enjoyed giving it. And while you may have some objections, rest assured that we'll be addressing some of those in future episodes. And in the meantime, I've got some more episodes lined up, which I think that you'll enjoy. So thanks for listening, and I hope that you'll join me for the next episode of the The Apologetics Podcast. Until then...